So, uh, Jamie, I guess had you all text me. I was preaching in Sudden Valley, Bellingham area last Sunday. And when I got done preaching, I got tons of texts from my, my church people. So it was really fun to speak to a different group of people who love Jesus. Um, I guess Kelly and Audrey, you get to do that as missionaries, right? You get to go, and it's pretty cool, but I don't, as a pastor, get to do that as much. So um, really life-giving and fun to see different people. It's really different to get up in front of a group of people and you don't know people. That's different because I can kind of read you guys for the most part. And then I also know people who aren't very demon, you know, like they're kind of. So you're trying to read people and communicate and you're like, whatever, just go with it. So <laughs> I really, really, though, enjoyed it. That was fun. So um, I spoke for my brother-in-law at his church because they were him and uh, my sister and my, and, uh, my brother-in-law were really tired and they needed to get away. They are pastors and they also foster. So, and they've been fostering some kids for about six months that have been pretty hard and they were really tired. So, um, but I actually was sitting at the pool, sitting in their little community. I took my nephew to the pool and the man sitting beside me, um, I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, how are you? He's like, I don't even know him. I don't know. He's like, I'm so tired. So I'm so tired. And I said, do you think that we're just kind of collectively tired as a community because of all the stuff we have to process right now that's going on in the world? Like, you know, all the, the war and the cost of living and all. I'm like, he's like, I'm just, he's like, I'm so tired. And he's like, yeah, I think, I think it is. He's like, I'm just tired. And he has a super interesting job. He works for... Um, Oh my gosh, now I can't. Okay, what would be the name of the person who works? <laughs> what did I tell you he does? He, um, ah, dang. Okay, so he works for the border crossing, uh, border agent, but he's like kind of high up and he's down and he was working and he's supposed to be with the Bellingham one, that's why he lives up there, but they've been sending him down to Mexico and he says it is so stressful right now, that job. So. Um, it's kind of fun to get out, right? Go out of town, meet new people. Yeah, hear, hear that we're collectively tired as a culture, not just in Pullman. So, um, so my brother-in-law was in the middle of a sermon series on Moses. And he's like, you want to do your own thing or you want to jump in on Moses? And I'm like, I want to jump in on Moses. So we had studied a bit of Moses last year as a staff together on our own and we never preached on it. So I'm like, I already got a couple sermons on Moses. I'm like, this is going to be fun. So, so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that with you. It's going to look a little different because because you guys are a little different. Like I had to give some background and stuff for, for people who maybe don't, don't are familiar with, you know, soul talk and things like that we talk about around here. So I called the message hidden, hidden. And I've shared with you guys that I felt like God has asked me to be hidden with him. And that in the midst of a day and age when we want to be on Facebook, we want to be on Twitter, as a culture, we want to be seen. We want a platform. Like, by and large, we want people to know who we are and what we think. God, in a way, asks us to be hidden people. He says, go into your room, go into the private, and meet with me in a hidden space. Um, I was also thinking of, I was thinking of all the pastors who have been 
who have huge platforms, huge platforms, and it has not served them well. It has not served them well. And I was thinking of the Southern Baptist Convention and all the things out. And, um, and I don't know if you guys know, but the Southern Baptist Convention has kind of had their own Catholic moment where they have been hiding a lot of misuse of power by men with women and children. And I have just been noticing that fame is not serving us well. Fame. Kelly said this years ago, before it was even, she doesn't, she doesn't remember, I told you this before. Kelly's like, I don't think we're made for fame. I don't think we're made for it. And yet, in our culture, we want, we kind of want it. We want a platform. And then God's kind of said to me, will you be hidden? Will you allow yourself to be hidden? I was thinking, so Moses started his life in a basket. He was hidden. It didn't last long, right? So he starts his life in the basket, and he's hidden. And then from that basket, he's found, and he becomes a prince. He's raised as a prince. He quickly moves to a place of prominence. So Moses moves to the, to the palace, and he is trained in all the finest skills. He's taught all the finest ways. He's taught to be a leader. He's given everything, the best food, the best training, the best of everything so that he could lead. Uh, he is trained, and he has the food, and he's the son of a prince. He is groomed to lead. But we can see not long after this that he's confused. He's confused about who he is. He's confused because in one way, he is raised in an Egyptian household, and then in another way, he's raised as a Hebrew, and it leaves him confused. It's kind of like a lot of people in our culture, they're confused, like they're, they're from another country, but they live here, and they're like, who am I? What am I? And we see this because, here we go at the very beginning. One day, after Moses had grown up, this is Exodus 2, 11 through 12 and 15, one day, after Moses had grown up, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his kinsfolk. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian, and he hid him in the sand. Moses fled from Pharaoh. He settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. What's going on beneath the surface for Moses? Rage? Anger? Moses' inner life, we can see, was full of turmoil. I was thinking, what was going on inside of the young man who killed his grandmother and then went and killed a room full of kids? Right? I was like, what was going on inside of Moses that at a moment he could snap and kill somebody. What's going on inside of all of us pastors who have been harming our churches, the women and children in the seats? And then I was like, what is going on inside of me when I leak? So Moses, I was reminded of this. We did this a while ago. I was like, oh, this is an exact, this, is, this hits it. So Moses had been being taught and trained in this part of his life. This is the iceberg, so we'll pause here. This is the iceberg, and this represents our life. 
And this represents the part of my life that I show to the people around me. This is the part of Moses' life that other people saw and knew what was going on. But this is the bigger part of my life. This is the part of my life that I might not choose to show you and you might not choose to show me, but it's the core of who you are. There's more of you that people don't see than people do see. So we see that Moses in that moment, his wounded life leaks. There are times in my life where my inner life leaks where I'm just living my life and I'm surprised by the way I respond to somebody? Are you ever surprised by the, the rage or the anger or the outbursts inside of you? And you're like, oh my goodness, where did that come from? Who is this person? Yeah, it happens, it happens, right? It happens and it happens for all of us. You're like, or actually, I think you can like choose to ignore it. I think you can actually like choose to like when that comes to not look at it. I think you can. But there are times in my life where the people that you love the most, you blow up at them. You act in a way that you actually can't believe you would act towards somebody you love. And that's when we see that there's something going on beneath the surface. And that's what we see with Moses. Right? There was something more going on for him to be able to turn. And he, not only did he kill somebody, he hid them. He like covered it up and he ran. So there was so much more going on in Moses underneath his iceberg. So this is what Moses did when this happens. Here it is. He hid, not cool. He fled. He settled down and sat by a well. The well in the Old Testament, actually through the whole Bible, represents your soul. It's a metaphor for your soul. So he went to a physical place, but when we see the well in the Bible, it's a picture of somebody going to meet with God. Like, look at the story of the Samaritan woman in the New Testament. She went to the well to sit with Jesus. So when we see this, we know that when he lost control, what he did was he went to meet with God in his soul. So your soul is mentioned over and over and over again in the Bible. However, if you were to ask most Christians, what's your soul? They'd be like, I I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. So your soul, this is my way of saying it, is not your mind. It's not your heart. It's not your body. But in a way, it covers all of it. And the soul is where you meet with God. So you can ask yourself, and I ask myself frequently, how is my soul? How is Heidi with God? As a staff meeting, each week when we start, we sit down for eight minutes and we, th- we sit in quiet. And we're like, how is my soul? How is my soul? So Moses' response was, he went to God. How do you respond when you rage? When you freak out, when you act in a way, I mean, I've heard people say this to me recently. I completely lost it. I completely lost it. And they're asking themselves, she says, what's going on inside of me? What is going on inside of me? I think that's the response as a Christian. Because yes, we sin, we're human. And so like Moses, we go with our soul to the well and we say, God, what's going on inside of me? What is going on? So when we look at this iceberg again, when we go to 
him being willing to look at what's going on inside of him, at Moses' wounded life. I, I see that he goes down to the forming life. So I, I'm going to share this a little more with you, see if I can clear it out a bit. Sorry. So this is the part we show everybody, and this is our controlled life. This is when everything is going okay, everything's going, it's being managed. And this is when something happens in life. Hopefully you don't kill somebody. <laughs> but this is when life gets the wind knocked out of you. This is when you wake up one day and you realize something is not going the way you'd hoped it would. This is when you wake up and you are like, wow, my marriage is just so not how I was seeing this to be. Or I, how did I get to be depressed? How did I get to be addicted to this? How did this become my life? Or how is this whatever it is? This is when you're carrying things for your kids and your life is out of control. And we have a choice. So most of us, when this happens, try to manage our life. We try to make things work. We can even try to do it with really good things like that are helpful things that aren't bad things like yoga, eating healthy. Could even be sometimes Bible study, church. Have you ever heard of this phrase? It's super deep, but it's not, we use God to avoid God. Yeah, we use God to avoid God because you just come and it's easier where instead of actually going down to be with God, there's a deep spiritual truth that you have to go down to get to the light. You have to be willing to let yourself go down to grieve. I'm going to read you these questions and I want you to think about it. So the question for the managed life is, how do I look and feel good? When we're trying to manage, how, what are you doing to try to feel good and to look good? What do you do to try to make your life get busier, work harder, try harder, oughts, shoulds? What do you do? And this one, when the wounded life happens, when something hits you, blindsides you, the question is, what can I do to get back to feeling good? Right? What do I need to do to get back here? What can I do? But the question for the forming life with God, what is God doing? What is God doing in me and in my life? This is the question. So a lot of times, where do you pivot? This is what I often do. I often pivot when something throws me off. I often pivot towards here first. And then when this isn't working, then I go to God. But the invitation is, when this happens, to stop trying to control your life and manage it and simply to say, God, what are you doing here? And it is what Moses did as he finds himself in the wilderness. The words that really stuck with me is you go from a compulsive, this is me trying to be compulsive and in control, to a contemplative, to a contemplative space. The way to find the light is you have to go down and you have to go to a hidden space. What lies beneath the surface of our lives really matters. My awareness of it or lack of awareness doesn't make it any rest less real. Just like Moses, eventually our inner life will leak. When the inner world suffers, the outer world will go amok. 
and we see Moses at the well. God invites us to go down into our soul. After Moses killed the Egyptian, he went to the well. We are invited to be alone with Jesus at our own well. When we pray to go and to be alone, to be still, to be in solitude and silence so you can listen. If we don't accept solitude in our culture, then we can't be alone with God. Solitude settles us. It settles your heart. When I take the time to be alone with God and to get away, which is so hard in our culture, it's like I'm coming home to myself. When I take time and I get away for 24 hours, I don't even know how tired I was. So I've created in part of my rhythm is I actually get away for 24 hours every few months to be alone with God. And I am, I think I can say I'm always surprised how tired I am. We are not made to live at the pace of our world. We're not made to live at this pace. And when we live in it, it's tiring and we need to get away to a hidden place. So Moses finds himself in the wilderness for 40 years. God leads Moses to a hidden life. I want you to hear, I actually heard someone preach that God was punishing Moses. It's not punishment. I believe this really strongly. It is not punishment. There are consequences for sin. Sin punishes. When I choose to be sinful, there is a punishment. It is not God. God sends Moses into the wilderness to work something out in him to prepare. There is a lot that needs to be done and is done in Moses in that 40 years in the wilderness. Imagine he's in the wilderness. It's just him and the sheep, the sheep and quiet and his family and God. And we can see so clearly, at first I was like, how do we see this? We can see so clearly what happened in him and how much he changed because we see who he is when he comes out on the other side. We see that he learned in that 40 years, we see that he learned to trust God. He learned to recognize God's voice. He learned to see who he was. He knew who he was when God asked him to do something. He's like, well, God, I'm not, I'm not very good at speaking. He knew who he was when he came out of the wilderness. When we allow ourselves to go into the wilderness to take away, it strips you. You listen long enough for God to tell you who you are, who you really are when you get away into the wilderness, and who he really is. And you learn to recognize his voice. And you learn to be okay with the quiet. What happens for Moses is he learns to be still and he learns to listen to God. When life isn't working, sometimes we find ourselves in our own wilderness. When your life might feel out of control like Moses, I think we need to head to the wilderness and be quiet so that your soul can come out. Ruth Haley Barton, who you've heard me quote a lot, actually says that in this culture, we need to fashion our own wilderness. Fashion your own wilderness. So what it means is we need to get away and create what Moses had so that we can be with God. 
So I fashion my own wilderness. I get away. And it can be 20 minutes, right? Your wilderness can be 20 minutes of quiet before God. It is so hard to be still in our culture. It is so hard to put away our devices. It is so hard to put away our work. It is so hard to, you say what it is. So there's something I learned recently as I've been studying the Enneagram even deeper. So each of us needs to find that stillness, but we all are kind of built a little differently. For me, it's not hard to be silent. And it's not really hard for me to be alone. I actually really like it. I get super excited about it. But it's really hard for me to stop moving, to be still. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I run with God. Oh, yeah, God and I went for a walk. But for me, with me, I need to stop moving. Some of you might be like, it's really easy for me to stop moving. And it's really easy for me to be alone. But you can't still your brain. You need to settle your brain to be with God. And for others of us, we just can't, um, the relational, the super relational, you need to be alone with God, not with other people, and hear what God has to say to you in the stillness. I'm really intrigued and have been looking, uh, reading about the desert fathers and the desert mothers in a way they created their own wilderness like Moses. They chose to get out of the culture and to get away for a few years to be with God, and then they came back. What intrigues me is, in a way, I don't know if you know much about the Desert Father and Mothers, but I think it's around 200, 300 AD. These are a group of people that chose to, like, get out into the wilderness for a set amount of time, like, just to leave everything, like, to go live in poverty. They weren't with people. And what amazes me is that all they were is them and God, and when they came back, people flocked to them to hear what they had to say. Does it make sense that people that would be all by themselves would be learning wisdom and ways to interact with other people? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me in my mind, but there's something that God will teach you. God will give you a wisdom if you allow yourself to get away and be alone with him. I see that there are only two reasons that people will go to the wilderness like Moses did. So I'll share them with you, and maybe you'll think of a third. These are two reasons I think people go to the wilderness. One is they're desperate. Moses was desperate. He had nowhere else to go. He ran. He's desperate. So he went to the wilderness. And the other reason I think people go to the wilderness is longing. A longing for God. I think that brings people to a place where they're willing is this deep longing in them. And I don't know if you know this, but I pray this for our church. God, may they long for you. God, may the people long for you. And you might be like, well, I, I don't really think I'm longing for God right now. I don't, I don't feel that. I, I think that if you're here, there's something in you that is longing for God. And I think if you can pray, God, I'm, I'm not sure I'm longing for you, but I want to. I think that's enough. I think that's longing. Um, one time when I was meeting with Sister Lillian, my spiritual director, I, I said to her, and I say to her kind of regularly, I want a cabin. I want my own cabin. Like you can share anything with them. I really want one. Like I really want one. And she says to me, where do you meet with God? I was like, in the woods, in the quiet, by myself. She said, you're longing for a cabin 
is your longing for God. So sometimes I think it's not easy to see what's going on and easy to see our longing. And sometimes we need other people to help us to see. Does everyone go through the wilderness? You might have heard me say this before, and I think yes. Yes, if you live long enough, you will go through the wilderness. Moses gains his soul in the wilderness. Matthew 16, 26, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Moses learned the skills as a prince to lead people, but his time in the wilderness brought him to a place where he was ready, where he was meant to be to lead he went from a well-managed life. He went from knowing these skills to a well-formed life where he was ready to lead. When you read Numbers and you read about Moses, this is how he led. He would go out and he would listen to God and then he would go and do it. He didn't have like this amazing five-point leadership plan. He went out and he listened to God and he did it. It sounds so simple. That is not simple. Like how often do you make your plan first and you work really hard and you do it and then when it doesn't work, you're like, I think I might pray about this decision. Like how many times is that our route? When I was meeting with Sister Lillian last time, she said that she was meeting with a retired female pastor who was really angry and upset. Like the way the world is right now, it's upsetting. She was angry and upset and sister Lynn, like just going off and I'm so angry and I can't believe this is the way the church is and just ranting and raving and sister Lindley says have you prayed about it she's like Heidi she's a retired pastor and she said no no and so it's no small thing to say that Moses learned to first go listen to God and like do you think he just sat there and God like one minute told him what he was supposed to do, there's a chance that he had to sit there for a long time to hear what God told him to do. Like, what would my life look like if before I go and try hard, I actually followed what Moses did and listened and then went and did it? Instead of so many times I meet with people who seem smart or people who seem wise or people who have a lot of information on certain things, and then I will go and I will talk to God I, I kind of think that a lot of Christians right now have lost their souls. <laughs> Not their salvation, but their souls. That place where you meet with God. I think we've kind of lost, some of us have lost our souls. I've said before, and it's come up often, Willow Creek is all over the, the church press. And Bill Hybels saying, I created a church that's one mile wide, and one inch deep, one inch deep. And when I heard it, I, I felt like God said, I want people to create churches that are a mile deep, and it's okay if they're an inch wide. Would you do that? I thought, well, that's kind of humbling. But I think that's what the world needs right now. I think we're pretty, pretty shallow. We're pretty shallow. I listened to a podcast this week on a lady who was um, on staff at a really large church, and she said she thinks, and I don't know, she thinks the biggest discipler, the thing that disciples us the most, 
is pain. She thinks pain disciples us. She was really kind of a little, uh, maybe jaded. She's like, small groups are a joke. That's what, I was like, woo, okay. She's like, they don't form anybody. It's just the mega church trying to, she was a little bit, she's been a little hurt by there. So she's like, but I think, she says, but really disciples people is pain. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> right? Ugh. I've been thinking about um, I've been thinking about the state of the church right now, and I don't know. Maybe you don't keep up with church stuff like pastors do, but it's it's alarming um, and sad, shocking. Um, And I think we're going to be okay. Because we always are. Because it's not really that much about us. Not that much. It's about God. It's not so much about us. There are stages in the spiritual life. And I don't know that we've talked about it, and I don't think that we people know. And I wonder if this would help. Um, so there's the part of the spiritual journey where you come to Jesus, where you come to faith, where you accept Jesus. That's the first part. And then the next part is you become discipled. So if you grow up in the church, it might look like youth group. If you're older when you come to faith, it looks like, Bible study, spiritual formation classes, things like that. And then you come to the life where you serve. You give back, productive. You live differently in your neighborhood. You treat people differently. You act differently because of what God's done in you. And then there's this space called the wall, the wilderness, what Moses had. And it happens to all of us. It's a time where you maybe don't hear God anymore. You look and you're like, I don't hear anything. I don't see anything. This is normal. This isn't strange. If you grow up in the church, it often happens when you're in college. It's really, really common. You get to college. And so, as parents, we pray. And we wait. And we pray. And we're open to conversations. We're willing. If you become a Christian later in life, maybe you're 30 or 40, you might hit your wall when you're 50. And you've been living life a certain way. And there's nothing you can do at that point to make things work. And maybe the way you have been interacting with God, it's not working. God's inviting you to interact with him differently or in a new way. But when you move through the wall, you come to a new place, a new freedom. You interact with God differently, deeper, and uh, the things that maybe... There's just new ways of being with God, and you come to an effective life. And I just wonder if people knew, like, this is where you're at. You're at the wall. They might not freak out and feel like, I got to get out of here, or what's going on, or my faith is dead. And so I share it with you, because you might find yourself at the wall now, or you will. And so you know that it's not unusual. It's part of it. And I wonder if the church could be at a wall. 
The church could be at a wall right now where the way we've done things isn't working. And we wait and we listen. And then when the spirit will come again and blow fresh, it'll be new. It'll be different. Moses learned to trust God in his time at the wilderness, at the time in the wall, and we can too. I guess as we, um, as we close today, I invite you to, I invite you to see where God is inviting you to be hidden. I invite you to the well, like Moses. I invite you to stay in the wilderness as long as it takes. Uh, so as we close quietly, listen to God and ask him, where can I meet with you? Where can I be hidden with you? When I sit at the well or fashion my own wilderness, I immediately will recognize who I am. And I will see myself for who I am. And I know that I can't fix or change anything. This happens like when you allow yourself, you're like confronted with who you are again. This has really helped me a lot. And to say, God, I can't fix anything. I can't figure out how to change myself. Here I am. Here I am. And I've been amazed. If you write that down in your journal and you look back, you'll see how God was working and changing and working on your behalf in areas where you had been stuck. So I invite you today as we're silent and quiet to come to the well for a moment and ask God, where are you asking me to be hidden? How is my soul? Give yourself a little bit of space. How is your soul? And maybe you're like me when I first was asked. I'm like, I don't even know what you're asking me. My soul? What is my soul? So quietly, for a few moments, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. We give you space. Father, may we learn how to be an inch deep in you. May we learn how to be hidden with you. May we learn how to go down to find the light. May we be brave enough. May we be willing to stay in the wilderness like Moses to learn what you have for us to learn, to be who you want us to be, to come out on the other side like Moses and be ready to live the life you've called us to live. 
Father, for those who are tired, be with them while they're tired. For those who are full of joy, sustain them and may they have joy to share with those around them. For those who are in a sweet space, may they let their light shine. May we trust you like Moses. Trust you enough to actually listen to you. That's what it takes, so much trust. May we trust you. May we be a room full of people that trust you enough to be hidden with you and to get away. May we long for you, God. Be with us as we go this week. May we remember that you are so close. May we see you in the hummingbirds and all the purple flowers and our children in the quiet. May we be people that look for you and find you. Surprise us this week by your kindness, your generosity. Thank you that we can call you Abba Father. Thank you that we can be comfortable with you. And thank you because um, we're safe because of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing the doxology. Would you stand? I've got words. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy. Thursday.